I want us to open up to Micah chapter 6 together. This is one of my favorite passages of scripture in the Bible. Um, My mom's laughing. She thinks I like all of them. They're all pretty good. I don't have any tattoos, but if I did have tattoos, one of them would be definitely Micah 6, 8, which we're going to dive into in a moment. I'm not saying we should get tattoos or not get tattoos, but it's just one of those verses for some reason. It's just in me. You guys have that happen with any scripture where it's just, it never leaves you. Life goes on, situations come, and that word of the Lord is right on the forefront of your thoughts in that situation. This is one of those scriptures. And you guys can pray. I'm wanting to do a conference someday on Micah 6.8. The entire thing would be on doing justice, about loving mercy, about walking humbly with our God. So I want to take a look and a little bit of context for you and I this morning as we consider Micah on this 4th of July, 2021, I want to consider a more perfect union with you guys and practically how that can happen biblically. But I want to see the context with you guys. In verse 6, it says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams, ten thousands rivers of oil? And shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. 245 years ago, July 4th of 1776, 13 American colonies declared independence from Great Britain. And they embarked on this quest of freedom. 11 years later, in 1787, After gaining their independence, the founders conceived a new form of government set out by the Constitution of the United States of America. In our Constitution, guys, it truly is one of the greatest documents in world history. Okay, Um, It's like the Magna Carta, the Mayflower Compact, the Declaration of Independence is initiated to really modern concepts of democracy and it's a people's right to self-rule that's really what it's about which i think is cool and we've seen the benefits of it firsthand we're very blessed here in america but our constitution was not a perfect document you guys know that article one section two establishes a legislative branch particularly the house of representatives and it reads in part representatives shall be appointed among the states which may be included within this union according to their representative numbers and here's okay the how the number of people are to be counted and this is what i want to catch this morning and speak to with you guys this morning which shall be determined by adding to the whole number of free persons three-fifths 
of all other persons. So in other words, the Constitution of the United States, slaves, black people were considered other persons. Did you guys catch that? And they were counted as three-fifths of a person. So this was a gross injustice embedded into one of our nation's founding documents. Thomas Jefferson began the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, right? That all men are created equal. And we say amen to that as Bible-believing Christians. Yet Jefferson himself owned slaves. Apparently to him and many Christian, or Americans sorry, at that time, some men erroneously considered um, slaves, people, as property, okay, less than a man. So our Constitution's Article 1, Section 2, three-fifths clause is a very ugly stain on our country's history. Yet, I want us to understand the idea of America has always been a work in progress. So this is why to take down statues of our founding fathers, okay, even though they were flawed in their thinking or compromised in some way, is really to ignore um, what has always been great about America, is that we are a nation that is learning. And this is why our quest for freedom and the greatness really of the Constitution is is its adaptability, okay? It is changing. Um, the preamble wisely states that we, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, think about that, okay? So notice it's an interesting choice of words, in order to form a more perfect union. So today, we think of a thing as perfect, we assume that it's the best it can be. Okay, it can't get more perfect. Our word perfect means as good as it can get, but that's not how the people in 1787 used the term. So think of the phrase to perfect. Okay, something perfect was something that was being perfected. And over a course of history, that thing could become more perfect. And that is exactly what was needed when it came to the formation of our country. The Constitution was made to be amended, and that's needed uh, invariably, okay, arose because of shifting of time. The Constitution was designed to amend the needs, to meet the needs of the people, to improve the union, uh, <clears throat> and thus. So, three-fifths clause was made irrelevant with later legislation. Following the Civil War in the days of the Reconstruction, the United States Constitution was amended at that time. The 13th amended, uh, Amendment abolished the institution of slavery, and aren't we glad for that? And then we had the 14th Amendment, which granted uh, citizenship to slaves and gave them all the equal rights of all citizens under the law. And then the 15th gave former slaves the right to vote. So our Constitution, guys, and the quest for freedom called America was adapted and improved and more perfect human union was formed. But work was still needed to be done, okay? Despite the death of 620,000 during the Civil War, okay, all the soldiers, 
three new amendments to our Constitution, okay? Injustices against black Americans didn't end. For the next 100 years, local and state governments enacted Jim Crow laws and developed the institution of segregation. And under the promise of separate but equal, blacks were prohibited from the same quality of education, transportation, of health uh, care, housing, entertainment. So all of life was segregated. There was black and white barbershops or black and white fountains, restaurants, parks, transportation. Um, there were even black and white cemeteries. And interracial marriage, strictly prohibited. Okay, in Mississippi, you could be fined $500 and thrown in jail for six months with what was called race mixing. Yet again, this experiment called America rose to the challenge of freedom. And we know that in 1954, the Supreme Court issued a landmark ruling on the case of Brown versus the Board of Education in Topeka, Kansas, in which blacks gained the right to attend the same public schools as whites. So this gave steam to civil rights movement, which culminated in July 2nd of 1964 when President Lyndon Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act, finally outlining discrimination based upon race and ending segregation in our schools, in employment, and in public accommodation. So in our day, guys, okay, critics accuse America that America, American ideal as being racist and irredeemable. I had a conversation recently about this, and I disagree. I love that it's the 4th of July today. I love this land in which we have been blessed to live. I just took a trip out west and coming back. I don't know how many times I thank the Lord, like what a beautiful land, what a beautiful country to live in. We are most blessed. Thank you, Father. So, <clears throat> In his famous I Have a Dream speech, Dr. King likened racial justice to cashing a check. And I want to share what he said. He said, when the uh, architects of the Republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the, and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. But we refuse to believe the bank of justice is bankrupt. We refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds in the great vaults of opportunity of this nation. And so we've come to cash this check, a check that will give us upon demand the riches of freedom and the security of justice. You see, Dr. King believed that America's values would triumph over our prejudices. So, he was right in 1964. He is still right today. You see, our history is checkered with failures and successes, with racism and equality. 
of oppression and emancipation. But the progress has and is being made. So four generations after the Civil War ended slavery, Americans elected a black president, okay? And I think of that, guys, not alone as an undeniable symbol of progress. We, the people of the United States, are forming a more perfect union. But does there remain work to be done? What do you guys think? Absolutely. I need a drink of water. So we, the people of the United States, uh, we're still forming a more perfect union. So today, in the wake of the torture of George Floyd, that was the conversation I had last Wednesday. There's been a lot of peaceful protests, um, despite the violent anarchists that are out there trying to tear down some meaningful dialogue that we need to be having. Systemic racism is being exposed. Um, Well-meaning white people are becoming more aware of their unintentional racism. Pockets of prejudice in law enforcement are being identified, and they are being corrected, praise the Lord. Uh, where else on earth could we have these kinds of changes happen that we have seen outside of America? Do you guys see the uniqueness and the blessing of our country? This is good. So my point is that the United States of America is not the problem. Rather, the ideals are indispensable part of the solution. But the war with racial discrimination is a long-running battle, and it falls upon every generation to do its part. So despite our progress, racism is evil that hangs on. And why do these human injustices occur over and over again? Okay. This has been going on for thousands of years. You guys understand this? You see, the persisting problem isn't America or our Constitution, with, which hinders racial equity, okay, equalities. It lies much closer to home than Washington, D.C. Every person needs to examine their own heart. And it seems to me that the problem is as much a skin problem as a sin problem. Racism, guys, is born of pride. It assumed superiority. And it's not the sole possession of white American bigots. You see, today, guys, African nations and tribes attack each other. There's mass genocide going on today. The Chinese, they hate the Japanese. We have in the Middle East, we have Arabs that hate Jews. That was there last year. There are Jews who hate the Arabs. We have the Sunnis and the Shiites. They're at each other's throat daily. And then we have India, largest nation in the world, and it reeks of this caste system. That's the world we live in, guys. Racism is very real. So the answer lies in what can happen in our heart. That's what matters, and that's what God does. That's his business, giving us a new heart, the new covenant, right? So legislation can mandate racial equality, but through transformation, God's spirit can change a person's heart. That's why there's hope 
in the gospel. That's why I believe how God has ordained the local church <laughs> to be light and salt in our communities is so needed and so good. But we need biblical thinking. We need to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. So I think about the aftermath of George Floyd's killing, okay? We had a nation up in arms. There's still people up in arms, okay? Last Wednesday, man up in arms, okay? Uh, still happening. And I know of no one, uh, you know, who watched the video of him being murdered <laughs> wasn't affected by that. And there's not one of us that saw that to just scream out like, stop, this is wrong. What's going on? So you and I saw that and we wanted to do something. And folks are still angry a year later here. And what I, you know, and I want, you know, us to consider what we can do practically right here in this community, in our lives, in our circle of friends. Okay? And I find the answer answer to racial injustice and inequality here in Micah 6. Okay? So what is it that the Lord requires of you and I? I mean, that was the question, right? What does the Lord require? And listen again to the text here. I want to read it once again. Micah 6, 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings and calves a year old? A year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, ten thousand rivers of oil, Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? So the Hebrew law, guys, was given through Moses. And we know that it emphasizes sacrifices, right? Animal sacrifices were to be made. So sacrifice was a giving to a cause. So it was a giving of my time, my money, my efforts for the sake of that cause. And that's what the people people all over the world today, okay, have done in response to racial injustices that we've seen. Great sacrifices have been made in protest. But sacrifice was not what God required of the, of the prophet. More important was God, uh, to God was his own obedience. Do you guys see that here? That's what God cared about. Earlier, God told us in Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, to obey is better than sacrifice, right? And to heed than the fat of rams. So often, guys, it's easier to give God what I want to give him. But sacrifice, okay, uh, what's convenient for me, okay, that's easy to do than to do what God wants done. Okay, all God desires for us is simple obedience. That is what he's asking. So again, Micah asks, how can I please God with a thousand sacrifices, with 10,000 rivers of oil? What can I sacrifice? What can I give? No, Micah answer. He has shown you, right? Oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God so here's how Micah responds and he shows his gratitude to God do justly love mercy walk humbly with our God 
So these are three simple things that each of us can do to make right racial injustices, okay? Um, and really put an end to the division that's been a plague of our nation. Uh, and I want, <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I want a more perfect union, okay? We're very blessed. We're very thankful. But you and I, we also see there's still things that need to be done. Things need to change. Justice has to happen. Um, so we should seek to show fairness and justice. Would you guys agree? Is that what God is asking of us? Absolutely. So understand, Christian, we believe in Mago Day. Okay? The term means that regardless of skin color, of ethic, origin, all humans are made in God's image and likeness. All of us. doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. We're all one race made in the image of God. That is what the Bible teaches us. So the idea of supremacy of one race over another, that is foreign to Scripture. All men are created equal and deserve fair and unbiased opportunities. In addition, guys, Christians, we believe that Jesus, what, so loved the world. John 3.16. God so loved the world, right? That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So that means that every human that you've ever met or going to meet is a person Jesus died to save. He wants them, okay? He... She is loved by our God. So these truths alone reveal a very enormous value of every single person. In Deuteronomy 32, his spokesperson, Moses, sung to the nation, and I love this, For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of truth. And without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Isn't that a cool song? That's our God. That is Jesus. And if we're little Christ, if we are following him, we too should share in those truths. I read of the prophets in Hebrews, okay? Um, or the Hebrew prophets. They called uh, Isaiah chapter 1 verse 17. What did he shout? Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Wow. Amos cried out, chapter 5, verse 24, but let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. So equity and fairness for all people really is a longing of God. That is what he wants for his creation, for mankind. And I want us to remember how Jesus challenged the religious leaders of his day. You can jot down Matthew 23, 23. The Lord scolded him here. I love this passage of scripture. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you have ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So they were so diligent that they would count every grain of spice that they got and they would tithe exactly that much and more and no more uh, or no more or less. That's their mentality. We're going to do exactly what we're supposed to do. This is the law and this is what we're to care about. 
Yet all the while, guys, they neglected the issues that really God championed since the beginning of time. And Jesus calls those things what? The, mat, the, the weightier matters, okay? Bestowing mercy, <laughs> trusting God, right? In the fair treatment of people. So they had majored on the minors and minored on the majors. Phil Taylor, I want to share his story. Uh, he was a kid who grew up in the 1960s. In the deep south, he attended an all-white church. And Phil writes of his experience. He says this, I don't know how we missed it. While King marched on Selma and an entire race cried out for justice, I heard sermons against rock and roll, the Beatles, miniskirts, and long hair. But I never heard the mention of racism, injustice, intolerance, hatred, and bigotry. Those are the things that God hates. I so agree with him, guys. Some of you guys, why are we doing this topical study this morning? Because this is stuff God cares about. God cares. Justice is what's in his heart. Justice is what he's asking of us. You see, guys, the movement of racial justice in America, it really passed Phil like a ship in the night, okay? While he and his church pals, they focused on these trivial pursuits. It's sad that churches have uh, a proclivity for missing this forest of trees, and we fail to see the obvious. As Jesus said, you strain at the gnat and you swallow a camel. So God, you know, our cry needs to be, please open our eyes. Please help us to do justice. And one of the problems with inequity, guys, is it creates anger and frustration. Let's be honest. A lot of angry people, a lot of frustration out there, even among brothers and sisters in Christ within the church. Okay? And there's a desire for retaliation. So if I'm not being treated fairly, then neither should anyone else is the mentality. In the struggle for justice, okay, we can be guilty of injustice. I've seen that. That was my conversation last week. So in his I Have a Dream speech, Dr. King fired the crowd, uh, or fired up the crowd with shouts of urgency. Freedom now! right? Freedom now was the cry. But then he said this, and I love it. There is something that must, or that I must say to my people who stand on the warm threshold that leads to the palace of justice in the process of gaining our rightful place. We must not be guilty of wrongful deeds. Let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. We must forever conduct our struggle with a high plane of dignity and discipline. And we must not allow our creative protest to degenerate into physical violence. We must rise to the majestic heights of meeting physical force with a soul force. I like that. And I agree with him. In short, guys, don't let the quest for justice be someone else's injustice. That's what he's saying. 
So with every person I face, every situation, every encounter, God desires me to do what's right. That is what the Lord requires of you, brother, sister, of myself. So I'm to seek out fairness for people and equality uh, or equity in all situations. So can I treat people based solely on their own merits? I think that's the question. You, personally, can I navigate circumstances unbiased? Can I do it fairly? You see, to act justly towards people is to avoid stat judgments and harmful stereotypes. Several years ago, and I found this fascinating, um, there was a, a study done with equal resumes that were sent to potential employers. The only difference on the, na- or on the resumes were the names that were attached to them. Resumes belonging to white-sounding names like Gregor Emily uh, got more attention t- uh, by the employers um, than the resumes of black-sounding names like Jamal or Lakeisha. Um, equal resumes, only different names. So on the surface, all the employers, they wanted just to hire good employees. That's what they were looking for. And there was no intended racism, yet clearly unbiased and bias-laden assumptions were made. That's where we're at in this country. Racism is still here. And this is the kind of battle, guys, that has, has to be won in people's hearts. But the victory only occurs when people make the commitment to do justly. We have to do it God's way. All the other ways don't work. Only God can change a heart. So, every human being can fail victim to this unbiased or unconscious biasness that we won't break out of apart from deliberate effort. We need to think about it. We need to pray on it, pray into it. Okay, We as believers in Christ need to do this biblically which is absolutely right and good. Um, but the question comes up, why are we afraid to do justly? Why are we afraid to do justly? What Benjamin Franklin said 200 years ago is still true. Justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are. It's not that big of a deal. There's really not an issue. There really isn't any racism. Change will not happen until we see what's really going on, until we're personally affected. Micah says we please God by by doing this when we do justly. And did you guys catch the next part? Love mercy. I think we are getting the justice part. Are you guys agreeing with me? Are you tracking with me this morning? Do justice. This is right and wrong in the eyes of our God. But then the next thing, and I love that he put here, is to love mercy. Do you guys know that we're called to be merciful as our Heavenly Father is merciful? That's scripture, guys. That's his heart. And it's not just, oh, i got to be merciful here. Love mercy. This isn't just do it because I've asked you to. No, this is a thing. If you're going to be like me, you're going to love this mercy piece, okay? This this is something you're going to delight in in want to do 
That's my heart this morning, guys. I want to delight in having this conversation with you, with us as a church family. You see, guys, we don't want to wait until people deserve love to get love. Is that what God's asked us to do? Do They got to earn it. No, you go even love your enemies. I mean, that's what he's told us to do. You, you love, okay? So some people, they want to withhold that love until it's earned. But that's not our God, and that's not what he's asked us to do. It's best to be gracious, and it too is a part of the Omega Day. That we can love as God loves. So when it comes to love, aren't you guys glad that God took the initiative? That he is the example, right? In 1 John 4.19, it teaches us we love him because what? He first loved us. He took the initiative. So now God wants us to take the initiative with other people. To love mercy is a mirror of the image of God to other people. It's been said, justice is getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And mercy is not getting what you do deserve. So rather than harbor a grudge, mercy is the willingness to issue a pardon. Mercy is forgiveness. It's a willingness to treat you better than you treated me. So to treat you as God has treated me. And we're never more like Jesus when we choose to respond against slight, uh, a slight you know, injustice or somebody coming against you than to show mercy. So we need to realize our heavenly judge abounds in mercy. Isn't that cool? Aren't you grateful? I sure am. God's only mandatory sentence is reversed for those who reject his son. Everyone who confesses their sin and asks God to pardon is sure to receive his mercy. I love the gospel. And we get to share this with the world, guys. Ephesians 2.4 tells us that God is rich in mercy. So we should be thankful that God is rich in mercy in what we need. Mercy, okay? He is the God of second chances. That's our God. So I've heard it said, God's throne is not made of marble, but of mercy. And this is why it's called the mercy seat. Sinners bow at the feet only to find, or God's feet only to find mercy. And this provides us an incredible contrast. Think about this with me today. We're living in a cancel culture, okay? Where a person makes any comment on any social media platform, um, if it flies in the face of what's woke today, the opinions of the day, especially if it's perceived as being racist or hate speech, they get canceled, nullified. That's the day in which we're living. So despite a person's apology or explanation of the offender, uh, he gets boycotted. And there's a mass attempt to strip away platform and influence. Even their job or livelihood are sometimes threatened. It's a public shaming. And it's it's a brutal opposite of loving mercy. That's what it is. So a big part of helping to build God's kingdom is to create a culture that is forgiving and accepting. Do you guys know that accepting 
is not agreeing. I had that conversation yesterday. <laughs> okay. I can love that person, even if they live that way. Because God's called me to love them. I can accept them. I don't agree with how they live or what they believe, but I get to love them. That's Bible truth. So God has asked us to extend mercy. You see, racial justice is important today as it ever has been, but it's achieved by changing our minds and our hearts. And the cool thing, guys, and I was just sharing this with my brothers before, a lot of us think, you know, like, hey, <laughs> I get it up here. Okay, what you're saying this morning, Pastor, this, this is right. This is God's heart. This is what his word speaks to. This is real stuff. Justice does matter. I get that, but I have a hard time with my heart. God's giving you a new heart, guys. The heart's not the problem. <laughs> it's our thinking. God says, renew your minds. Amen. That's what we're doing this morning. That's what happens when we read his word and consider what he says. Yeah, we just looked at a short passage of scripture. But guys, I could speak to this for the next week with you guys. <laughs> this is a truth. And this is why the scripture is always on the forefront of my mind. Because this is what God is asking of us. He's requiring of us. So, this extended mercy, I love it, okay? Our hearts, our minds need to be changed by God, okay? Um, and when we do that, we're going to be able to extend mercy in which will really bring him glory, which he is required of us. And according to Micah here, one more command is required of us that we walk humbly with our God. Humility is a hard thing that is found today among the church, but it's something that God has promised to give grace to those who are humble. I don't know about you guys, but I'm in the need of God's grace. He resists the proud. And then there's so much pride today within the church. I'm not just talking about the world. We can look around everywhere. Just drive down the street. You're going to see flags, you know, speaking to pride. It's everywhere we have. But humility is something that is to mark the Christian. And there are Christians today that don't even want to speak to it. What's going on? You guys catch where Micah said we need to walk humbly? Not think humbly, <laughs> but walk. Wherever you're going, <laughs> wherever God has you at, we're to walk humbly with God. So humility is understanding and acknowledging my limitations. And it's also admitting that life is not about me. It's not. You've been created for his glory. Amen. We do justice for his glory. We love mercy for his glory. We walk humbly with him for his glory. Okay? So I'm not all that. Okay? That's the reality of being humble. And it's me keeping a low profile, and it's me placing a very high priority on other people, right? The Bible doesn't talk about self-esteem. You can go to many churches today and get a nice sermon to make you feel really good about yourself, okay? You have worth because God loves you. 
Okay, that's where you should find some self-esteem. The creator of all things, despite me and my sin and my shortcomings, he still loves me. Yeah, you have worth. You are adored by God Almighty. That's pretty awesome to think about. The only place I've found in Scripture that talks about self-esteem says esteem others better than yourself. That's the only Scripture I've found so far. So... Um, you guys familiar with the Holocaust survivor, uh, Corrie Ten Boom? Love her, read her story, rad sister in the Lord. She was once asked if there were, uh, it was difficult for her to remain humble. And I love how she replied to the question. She said this, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on the back of a donkey and everyone was waving palm branches and throwing garments on the road and singing praises, do you think for one moment it entered the head of that donkey, that any of this was for him? If I can be a donkey on which Jesus Christ rides, I'll happily give him all praise and all honor. I love that quote. (laughs) I love it. So humility, guys, is remembering that Jesus is in the saddle, not me, and that I'm on a journey to bring him glory. In the year 1959, at the height of segregation, when the North, there was a northern journalist, uh, his name was John Griffin, he decided to discover life, uh, what it was like for a black man in the South. At first, Griffin thought of touring the South as an observer, but he knew that he would only get a limited perspective by doing that. Instead, he decided to literally change his skin color to actually become black, Griffin took these medications. He had sun lamps. He took stain and, you know, put it all over his body uh, to change the pigment of his skin. Uh, he traveled through Jim Crow South and uh, tasted firsthand the horrors of racial prejudice and the plight uh, that African Americans do face. John Griffin uh, published his findings in it's a best-selling book, but Black Like Me is the name of it. Uh, But it wasn't enough for Griffin to hear and to read uh, the black person's travails. He wanted to experience them up close and personal. I think that's what humility does, guys. That's humility. Bringing yourself low. Coming along others to understand. Okay? Okay. It puts people on the same level, equal footing. Humility, guys, uh, it enables black people and white people to come together and to learn from each other. Okay? Lots gone down in the last year. Racism's been a part of world history. It's been a part of my life history. How many conversations have we actually had? Do we take the time? Do we purposely come alongside and talk with others? I think there is a need to exchange ideas, to have those conversations, to begin talking candidly. And if I read the Bible correctly, the church is called to exhibit racial unity. Every tribe and nation, that's what we're told, right? So we are one in Christ. doesn't matter what shade of skin you got. <laughs> if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, we are brothers and sisters. We are family. We are one. We have that unity because of him. 
There is one church, and the primary goal of the church is to demonstrate the ability of the gospel to cause diverse people to live in harmony. And achieving that goal, understanding, and humility go along with that. We've seen a great divide today in our nation, at least in my lifetime. We've had them throughout our, our nation's history, okay? But we're seeing a big divide today, okay? We have a country that's very much divided. And I look at it, well, what, what's going on right now, okay? Well, if we really step back, the big overarching thing for our nation is we're turning our back on God. That's what we've done. We don't want to even acknowledge him. Today, we have spirituality, Christians, we're putting you in the closet, <laughs> Okay, well, we don't even want to hear what you have to say. That's where we're at today. Um, and I think we're reaping the consequences of it. But we, the church, which we're told in 1 Timothy 3.15, are to be a pillar of truth in society. Okay? We need to stand for what is right. Do justice. Okay? But we also have to get in the conversation and actually speak. And we need to do that in a Christ-honoring way. So, um, the issues involving race to which white folks are blind, okay? Um, you know, you may have had a hard life, but if you're white, there's no doubt that your life was made um, <clears throat> probably easier in some ways than people who have colored skin. That's just a reality, but some people, well, that's not true. You haven't talked with people. You haven't heard their stories and their personal experiences, um, black folks aren't making excuses. The most that I know, uh, they don't need help. <laughs> uh, but what matters is that we care. And I think that's something as Christians, the world needs to see. You know, we care. We love. So frankly, to do justice, to love mercy, uh, may not be enough if we don't go further by walking humbly we got to take that last step. And that's why I love that God ordained by his Holy Spirit in his word <laughs> these three points. They're all needed. We need to walk humbly with God. Caring and communicating is key. So if you're in Christ, we have uh, a commonality that is greater than our differences. We love uh, and with love and understanding, we can work out conflicts and we can learn to live together. That's the heart of God. Jesus, before he portrayed, what was he praying for in the garden there? Let them be one as we're one, Father. Let there be unity. That's the heart of our God. But unless we walk humbly, that's not going to happen. So here's my question for us this morning. Will we use our platform, however broad it might be, to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God? In Colossians 3, 23, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. I want to encourage you guys to do that. So, when you're thinking about posting that post... Is this just about itching others' ears because this is what man wants to hear or this is what I'll get a rise out of or is this what's going to glorify and honor my God? So I'm going to close with a line from a poem by a civil rights activist 
Langston Hughes will let America be America again, the land that never has been yet and yet must be, the land where every man is free. I like it. So America is not yet the fulfillment. <laughs> it's a promise. So yet here's how we can fulfill that promise and keep making our nation great, a more perfect union to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Let's pray. Father, we humbly ask for your help to do so. Lord, we know these things are right. We know these things are in your heart. This is what you've revealed to us in Scripture. So we pray, Lord, that you would be gracious. God, help us to learn humility, that we'd be able to receive and to be able to walk with you in ways that really honor you and glorify you, that we're in step with your spirit. Father, we thank you so much for this country. We have been blessed in America, Lord, but we know that there's so much more to be done, and we know, Jesus, you're the hope. You're it. You're the answer. You're the solution. You're the remedy. So help us, Lord, to love you and others well and to make you known. We ask in your name. Amen? Amen.